Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. My name is Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show has a sponsor. What? Cheshire Impact. Who are these guys with the same last name as me? On a mission to help you maximize your use, marketing automation, and CRM. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Now, my guest today, so excited. I've been waiting, counting down the days. Everyone's counting down the days to the holidays. I've been counting down the days to this conversation. She launches companies. She's a brand recognition expert. She is a marketing wizard, amazing person, chief marketing officer at Lean Data, formerly marketing at both Marketo, VMware. Karen Steele, how are you? Hey, Casey. Wow, what an intro. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I feel like I still left things off, but I hope that I did it justice. Uh, you did, and I'm delighted <laughs> with you today. Thank you so much, and happy yeah. early holidays. Yes, the holidays are coming. I don't know. I didn't wear my Santa hat, but I could have <laughs> if I wanted to. Um, so, you know, I wanted to kind of circle people around to the theme because there's a lot of things I know. I mean, your experience in both marketing automation and and that higher level marketing and strategy, we could talk about everything. And so we had to, we kind of had to circle the wagons and talk. Uh, the theme really is around some of these higher level strategies, what is and isn't true around them. We also want to talk about marketing data because, you know, garbage in, garbage out. It's so important. And I think people miss that step and then their, their results speak to that. So we, we want to talk about all these things. And so what I want to do now is pass you Thor's hammer. There you go. It's a little heavy. <laughs> now take this hammer and smash some myths for me. What kind of bogus strategies have you been hearing in the marketing world? Um, they're driving you crazy and you just want to set the record straight and, you know, teach me and everyone listening. Yeah, so I've been thinking a lot about this. So fun, fun topic. Um, obviously, as marketers, you know, we're in the business of creating, um, dispelling FUD, but also creating some of the nonsense that everybody hears about out there. And sure. I guess one thing that's that sort of bugs me is this idea of the fearless marketer. Okay. I mean, come on, yeah. guys. of course. I mean, like marketers are got to be on the edge of their seats every day, but I think we have to be focused on the revenue-centric marketer. Mm. I care less about somebody being afraid, um, you know, and, and wanting to, you know, take the next step. I just think nowadays it's so important, you know, for years our profession has been plagued with, you know, uh, the, the labels like arts and crafts or, you know, yeah. the people that spend the money but generate no revenue. And right. in B2B, for your audience and the folks that are out there listening to, we are revenue marketers. That's what yes. we do. So enough of this fearless crap. Let's talk about being smart revenue people. Let's talk about being digitally savvy. Let's talk about why the data matters. Let's talk about delivering results and and, and aligning with your sales counterparts, because today that's what it's all about. Sales and marketing alignment. Um, I love what you know, some of the folks at uh, Pardot and uh, Nate Skinner talk about when they talk about yeah. the blame game, you know, the blame game of the sales and marketing stuff where everybody wants credit for something else and it's, it's time to just partner on revenue. That's what it's all about. No, I love that. Partner on revenue. Like, what are you going to partner on? not fear. <laughs> I wonder, did that ever, was it a marketing thing or did it, did it come from a good place? 
idea of the. I think you know I wasn't I wasn't at Marketo when that came. Yeah. To I think it was a theme for the Marketing Nation conference, which okay. I think is fine as a, a conference theme. But I I think as as that being your umbrella message, to me I'd rather have marketing teams today believe that they have a seat at the table with sales, believe that they're revenue centric, believe that their job is just in, is as important as their sales counterpart. And so for me, the theme I care about is revenue centric marketers. That's what it's all about. I love that. You know, what's interesting. I was just thinking about this. If you tie things to revenue, you've got nothing to fear, you know, right. like, You'll, you'll have a seat at the table. Uh, you'll, you only ask for 10K, but you're tying it to revenue and they see an ROI. Guess what? Would you like 20 or 30? You're like, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, things happen when you tie things to revenue. You're yeah. Getting out of that. I, I hate that, that action-based, you know, the old school mentality. I don't know if it was B2B, but I, I once had a CEO ask me, this was when I was little, Casey. And he said, you know, mm -hmm. Casey, how many emails did we send this month? And I actually knew the answer, which is surprising. And I, it was about a million. So it was like, it's about a million. He said, okay, well, next month, let's make it a million and a half. You know, yeah. that's how CEOs talk. But like, like a mil another half a million emails yeah. to a bunch of IT buyers is going to somehow trick them into or convince them that they should move quicker. You know, it's crazy. I didn't know any different then. That's, I do now. Right. No, and today, you know, I, I, back since I was at Informatica, I mean, my marketing oh, yeah. teams have always signed up to a number. Like we are responsible for a percentage of the pipeline. And I think marketers have to have that mindset today. We carry as much, we may not get the same type of commission in terms of our pay structure as a sales or account executive gets, but you got to be responsible for a number for pipeline so that the, you've got skin in the game too. So yeah. it's about revenue centric marketing, um, not fearless. I love it. I love it. Again, nothing to fear with there's revenue is here. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you know, TM, yeah, you, you can have that one. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So that one is smashed. It, it's the wrong focus, whether it was good or not at the beginning, we get it. But you, I, you know, and courage means you might still have fear, but you're still going to do it anyway. So smashed, go. it's gone. What else do you want to destroy? I mean, this is like, this is, this is marketing therapy here. What else should we crush? So I am a big fan of uh, John Miller. He's the uh, founder of Engageo, co-founder of Engageo, and they do some really cool stuff. We're sort of in a similar space as them, but the idea of account-based everything, I mean, is that really possible? Um, you know, I think, you know, all of us as B2B marketers have always focused on target accounts. And so having that sort of as part of your you know, vocabulary and your language, et cetera. Technology is only helping us do that better now, but I, yeah. I'm not sure that it's account-based everything. I do think, I still think that there are motions for account-based selling, motions for account-based marketing, but it's based on the core principles we've always understood, which is if you focus on those accounts, they're going to be most profitable for your business. You're ultimately going to be more successful. So today, Lots of tools and technology help you do that. So right. not sure that it's account-based everything, but I like account-based marketing. Yeah, tell me about that because I was really skeptical at the beginning. Um, and I've had a chance to talk with Sangram on here previously. You kind of helped me set the record straight because I got a lot of that marketing ease stuff before I got to the meat of it, talking to him in person. You know, yeah. you, uh, you hear all these things. And, and I think the majority of us are kind of tapping our fingers saying, wait, 
we've been doing that in my little company or big company, wherever you're at for decades before I was even in marketing. We've been, sales has been going after accounts, telling us which ones they want to go after. Not, not everyone, but I think it's been around. So like what, what's new about it? Is just the technology has been here or is it just a buzzword? What's your take? Well, I think it's been around since the beginning of B2B marketing. Um, companies mm -hmm. have always focused on certain accounts that, again, are in territories that are rich for their business, that, you know, companies develop a, an ICP, an ideal customer profile. They look at companies in territories based on the size that fits them best, et cetera. So that has been going on since the beginning of time. Right. I think what the account-based concept uh, you know, helps people do is really organize around programmatic things you can do. So when I think about account-based marketing, it's a better way to do field marketing. You know, a true partnership with sales where sales and marketing together agree who the target accounts are and they put numbers against what their goals are for those accounts and what kind of penetration they're going to see, et cetera. So I think there's some wonderful technologies and Engage is doing some great stuff. Obviously we have some interesting solutions. Our friends at Terminus um, and, and others demand based are doing some great stuff in the account based world, but I don't know. I don't think it's account based everything. I still think as marketers, we focus on field marketing, target accounts, and sales and marketing alignment, and that's account-based. So that's where I come from on that. Not necessarily a smash, I guess, but hopefully I hit it upside the head a little bit. I think so. Now, can you do those three? What were those three things again that you were field marketing? Sales, marketing, um, sales and marketing alignment, yeah. and target account programs. Awesome. Uh, you said target account programs? Yep. Okay. And that is really what ABM is to you? That's what it is to me. Um, yeah. There's a lot of ways you can orchestrate campaigns and programs. That's what a lot of this technology does, but it's aligning with sales on who the accounts are based on your ICP and your territories and how you want to go to market. And then it's strategizing on the different programmatic ways to get there. It's not just sending a personalized gift to somebody, but it's really understanding your buyer and having sales and marketing go at them together in an orchestrated way, whether that be through a personalized email campaign or a targeted ad or a customized personalized PFL sort of a, you know, package that arrives in your office. So there's, Tons right. of cool ways to, to, to sort of um, orchestrate it, but it's really the same idea. Right, right. With the technology around, you know, there's something you said that really stood out to me. The idea of one, we're understanding our buyer and two, we're aligning with sales on it. Yep. And technology aside, all the, th like you need to do that. And in any, th any program that encourages us to get to know our buyers better, and helps us align with sales. Like that's, that's the, the right thing to do, whether you call it ABM or call it, getting to know your buyer, win loss, you know, buyer personas, whatever the case may be. Yep. That, that's a great direction to go in. Yep. And that, that's, that kind of goes back to the revenue centric B2B marketer, which is you got to have a seat at the table and you got to own a pipeline number because that way sales believes you're committed. There's always a skepticism about, 
again, I go back to one of the, you know, the, the, the comments I always hate to hear about marketers are they're the arts and crafts department or they're the people that do brand stuff. It's like, no, we're the, we're the other half of the revenue equation. And to get the respect from your sales counterparts, you better be thinking that way and be very revenue centric. And it really does start with data. Does start with data. You know, it, it arts and crafts. I hadn't heard that one before, but I've definitely <laughs> heard the print shop for the sales team. You know? <laughs> There's that one. The other one I used to love when I was at Apple in the early days. We used to call ourselves the the Department of Waste and Fraud because we spent all the money, but we didn't necessarily contribute revenue back then. Oh gosh, waste and fraud. I know. Pretty Who called cool. it that? Did you self call <laughs> it that, or was that like a it was sort of jobs a, thing? Side joke, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. All, all the, especially if you're just doing activities or just creating collateral, you know, and you're yeah. not asking for that responsibility. You know, I had a question for you on that because obviously you've been in senior level positions, you've been in that seat at the table. Have you ever not had a seat at the table? And was it just a matter of you claiming revenue responsibility? I just, I was curious, you know, how that sort of transition has ever happened. Yeah. So, you know, all companies are organized differently. I think for most B2B software companies, the demand gen usually has, you know, a number that they're aligned to and there's a partnership with sales. Um, sometimes larger organizations, I will tell you at VMware, um, um, we, we have the, the right methodology, but my team built campaigns and I did my team didn't execute them because we'd hand them off to the field to execute so there was a partnership but I didn't actually own a number for execution because that was the responsibility of field marketing in the various regions so we were responsible for developing a, a core set of campaigns for the year based on some company level themes but then the handoff was the field team and so I wasn't as closely aligned to the number as I typically have been but Every other B2B software company I've been at, the, the marketing team and demand gen in particular owns a number. You start at the beginning of the year with the plan of record. Based on the plan of record, you and the you know, sales you know, ownership you know, figure out what's the right distribution of, of, of revenue and what you need to generate in terms of pipeline, et cetera. And so that, that's usually a process that starts early and many, many of our customers are going through that process right now. Makes a lot of sense. Did you did did you sense like a difference in the the power set and like not being at the table when you weren't directly executing those campaigns when they when you passed them off to the field? Was it like a different feeling because you were kind of you're yeah. back to designing crafts? Yeah, it, I definitely it, it felt more like a you know being sort of a supporting cast member as opposed to yeah. being you know a regular member of the cast. Um, yeah. Um, it, but you know, th that was the way VMware ran it and it worked well for them. Uh, clearly they, they had, they had accountability in the field and they were trying to centralize the campaign development. So at least we had consistency on message and brand and some of those things. But, um, yeah, it was a little bit of a disconnect for me and, you know, I had to get used to that, but, um, but we were still part of one team. And I would say that my team, even at VMware, still very much considered themselves to be revenue marketers. And that's what B2B folks have to do today. Absolutely. I've often heard it called like the revenue team. Yeah. You know, sales, marketing, but we really are aligning to this singular process and not having two different processes and two different siloed data sets and all these yeah, things. Absolutely. You know? And that's where oftentimes the 
sort of the glue to that revenue team is the ops function. Yes. They're the folks that are running your CRM systems and your marketing automation tools and all the other technologies that ultimately take all your data about customers and prospect and, and tie it all to the pipeline and, and, you know, attribute it back to, uh, you know, what, what performed well, where, when, and, um, you know, that's the fun part of connecting the dots. Right. Right. You know, that's, that's the right kind. I once did bump into someone who was the human connector between their marketing automation and their CRM and they had to like manually enter that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone in an ops role who, who's understanding one foot on each canoe kind of thing. And they're, yeah. they're seeing the requirements and helping translate almost like a little bit of a, a marriage counselor for sales and marketing. I like that. Yeah, no, it's funny. We have uh, one of our customers is a great company um, called ring central. Oh yeah. Um, and the guy who runs sales ops there, um, he actually, so ops OPS, he calls it sales, it's operations, productivity, and strategy. That's what ops in his mind stands for. And so the other idea that ops people are just sort of the, the kind of engine room machine people that kind of keep the trains going, that's one piece of the equation. They are ultimately the ones who are very involved in all the strategy around how do I get more productivity out of my reps? How do I ramp people faster? Um, and just all the strategy around technology and campaigns and you know, all the channels and go to market strategies. So it's a super important little bit of an unsung hero kind of a position that I think we see these days. I've heard it growing um, in, in usage, marketing ops, sales ops. Yeah. Do you end up seeing people in both the marketing and the sales ops? And then is we it do. one more important or is it they're kind of the same role or how do you so it's an awesome question because I think it's, it's evolving. There's actually this new position that we hear often and we have this in our own company today, which is revenue ops. So I like it. somebody that sits right in the middle and they sit right in between sales and marketing and finance and biz dev. Because when you think about ops, it has to support your partner channel, your customer success team because of upsell and cross-sell and renewals and sales and marketing. And so this revenue ops idea is a really big one. Um, but, you know, we equally sell to, in some companies, it's the marketing folks have, you know, more the data centric ops people. And in some cases it's sales, but it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but, but we love the idea of rev ops. Right. I guess the challenge is always, you know, who do they report to? Yeah. Uh, but that being said, you know, when, the, when they're centrally minded, maybe they have dots to different sides, then at least they're yeah. thinking about both sides and the whole process. And I've seen it, uh, you know, we have, we have folks in our, our, our customer side who have a business ops team at the company that reports into the president. We have um, folks that are go-to-market ops teams that were put into a CRO um, as, sure. as data here. We have a, we have a head of rev ops that reports into our head of finance and ops. He's got all the GNA. And so that, that makes sense for us. Huh. I see it. So it could technically change in different places. Yeah. Makes sense. So already within a short period of time, you, and this is what's cool. We call it hardcore marketing and some people take it seriously. I've had some sales trainers on here. And I'm pretty sure they swore more in the prep call um, <laughs> than all the other episodes combined. It's been fun. But you've already smashed 
uh, some pretty popular things, or at least things that are out there, the idea of the fearless marketer. And, you know, smashing things can be dangerous, but I love that you're just, you're saying like, look, wrong focus, focus on revenue. And then we're smashing, you know, the ABM everything. ABM is important, but more importantly is the knowing your buyer. I de- yep. Agreeing with sales on aligning on that. Yep. So I got another one for you. Yeah. Uh, and this one drives me crazy because I hear this word get overused AI, right? Which I think of as Skynet coming to get us, but people use it now all the time in marketing. Um, have you been seeing that around? What do you have to say on that? Is, is there some smashing? Should I get, put my, my yeah, eye safety goggles I mean, on? Or? So, I'm a, so I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of data and analytics. So just okay. put that out there. I spent a lot of my career um, you know, at data type companies. So the concept of AI, I think is a great concept, but it is sort of the shiny new object. I mean, if you think about two or three years ago, the, the big, the big buzzword was big data. Well, now it's (laughs) AI. Isn't AI just sort of a relabeling of big data? And, and I, again, I think the outcome is great. I think we all want better analytics and we all want to understand data to make smarter decisions. And, you know, business intelligence has been around for, for decades and decades, but I think putting a new label on it is, you know, it, it frustrates me because it's just another buzzword. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to fundamentally get your data right before any of that stuff matters because you can't have good analytics and you can't have artificial intelligence unless your data schema is, is in your, your data house is in order, basically. Got it. Got it. It makes sense because you put the, they're, they're running off of instructions. You put the wrong instructions in right. there. They're going to come to the wrong conclusions, you know, with the yep. artificial learning can only learn what you give it. So that makes a lot of sense uh, or augmented. Yeah. And I think the idea that, you know, the machine learning techniques that, you know, we're training these systems and robots to, to learn more and be more, um, you know, aware of, of, of the, the data and conversations. I think all of that's great. But again, it, it starts with where, where the data is in the first place. And we all want better analytics. So AI is ultimately a good thing, but I think it's a, sort of a shiny new toy sort of, um, you know, window dressing at the moment. Right, right. And you know what's funny is th- I think it's marketing and we're kind of guilty of it. So yeah. it's like, ah, <laughs> I love marketing, but sometimes yeah. guys, <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I guess it is what it is. But he- the question then is, you know, how do you get your data house in order? How, how do you even wrap your head around it? I think a lot of people out there have yeah. duplicates. They have missing data. They have bad data that's hiding in places where no one's going to tell them it's bad. They have all these yeah. things going on and then they're being asked to then execute campaigns against it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, you know, that's sort of the genesis of where lean data came to market. I mean, okay. the company, the company philosophically started as a lead to account matching provider. So the idea that within your CRM system, there are just inherently some things that, that weren't built out and leads and accounts are different objects and they don't talk to each other. And so, you know, we, we started out early on and honestly, what you mentioned, dedupe, that was one of the, that was one of the early use cases that our customers had is they just wanted to clean up the data. They had dirty data in their CRM. Um, what we realized after that, of course, is that people didn't want to just tidy up their data. They also wanted then 
to be able to manage their pipeline in a more predictive, proactive way so that they could route and distribute and assign leads to the right people at the right time. And some of the stuff you can go build complicated rules and in your CRM system and do it, but what if you had an automated, automated way after you cleaned the data up to do that? Um, right. And that led us then to a marketing attribution product, which was just a way of then showing the analytics of what was the journey of every time. So this account, I touched this account and on, on this many occasions, you know, because I ran all these campaigns in my pipeline, what does the life cycle that look like in terms of the marketing journey and impact of a program? And so it was a very natural evolution of use cases for lean data, but our entire existence has been about getting the right revenue data to the right people at the right time to help companies, you know, get to revenue faster and ultimately improve their and accelerate their pipeline. Huh. That's interesting history. So you started out just with the idea of matching accounts and helping people clean the mess. And then from there progress into the pipeline management, um, yep. helping with the routing and then actually getting into the life cycle. I mean, that seems like Pandora's yep. box to try to be able to rep. I mean, talk about big data, all the different, if you have the data points that are there, that's really cool. I, yeah. Can we dive into like well, clean, just, clean first? Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah let's talk, one of the things I, I also wanted yeah. to mention is um, kind of going back to the ABM thing that we were talking about, which again, a huge fan of ABM, but Typically, companies that are doing any kind of a target account strategy, that's just one of their go-to-market motions. They probably have an inbound you know, a mechanism and an outbound mechanism, and they're doing a little bit of ABM, and they might have a whole partner channel thing. And so what we found is that you know, what companies need to do once they get their data in orders in their CRM is manage a multitude of ways to execute their programs and make sure that the the path to revenue with respect to the data is is in the right in the right way, and that that's what we help companies do, and uh, and that's why again attribution was a natural kind of building block that that we helped companies visualize after we sort of did the other pieces for them. Um, but it's it's been a it's been a fun journey, and today we have about. 30% of our customers use our attribution capability. We haven't marketed it as, as well as we probably could. That's something you'll see a lot more from lean data going forward. But, you know, we are a company that cares deeply about improving the CRM experience and understanding the entire buyer journey. Right, right. Huh. So you start with the clean. Do you even recommend, you know, the people that sign up, Start with that before you get to any of the attribution and these other things, make sure your data is squared away. Is it just as simple as get, get the right app that can help you with that? Are there any strategies you need to think about when you're, you're cleaning things up? Again, what companies think about first and most companies that really want to get the lead routing piece, right? Is yep. we know that leads and accounts have to match and, right. um, you know, so that, that is usually where people start. So typically the, it, it's the use case is typically some kind of a, a lead routing use case where you get the matching capability as part of that. Um, and then once customers get that right, they, they get excited about the idea of tracking and measurement and looking at the impact. Um, and, you know, marketing attribution is a journey. It's not kind of a, like, it's sort of, I always, you know, refer to it as sort of a, it's like a BI 
you know, story. It's not one and done. You're always looking sales and marketing have to come to a common set of understanding and questions um, for you to really tell the story of, of what the impact and the attribution means for the business. So here at Lean Data, we do multi-touch attribution. So I'm able to look at the life cycle of everything we do in a multi-touch capacity. So pre-opportunity creation and then also post-opportunity creation. Mm. I can see the importance of making the differentiation before the op and then after the op yep. happened because it's even different ownership, you know, marketing zoning one, yep. sales zoning the other. And there's different things that marketing can do in the pipeline process pre and post. So we, we call the pre-opportunity creation multi-touch generated, and then we call the post-opportunity multi-touch accelerated. And so we have different campaign strategies, different, different things we do to move things through the pipeline, both pre and post. And I think it's really, really effective, and it's, uh, it's nice to have uh, you know, a single tool that, that allows you to, to visualize that. Does it become an issue tying it to revenue if you have the pre and the post or is there a third that's like the whole kit and caboodle kind of thing? Oh, you can, I mean, you can set this, I'm describing a model that we use. That oh, our gotcha. Customers, our customers use various different models. Um, some people still believe in single touch. Some believe in multi-touch just pre-op and they're not looking at post. And so um, it's super flexible to look at it the way that, you know, best suits your business. Got it. So you can customize that and there's some, there's some Absolutely. thought behind it. Interesting. How, how do you, how does it do it? How do you wrap your, cause I've heard people say that, I mean, maybe they just got so frustrated, but they, they've said multi-touch is impossible. That model question, how do you give it credit? you know, was it that event they went to or the very next day you got an email from marketing. So give marketing all the credit or give sales the credit. Is it, is there some misunderstanding going on with people that. Well, I think again, it comes, it's sort of that Holy grail of sales and marketing enablement. I mean, the only way that multi-touch that mark, whether it's single touch or multi-touch that attribution works in the first place is if you have a common vocabulary and a common set of goals that sales and marketing agree to. Even in a multi-touch model, that pre-opportunity and the touches that happen, you have to agree to a time frame. Is it 120 days? Is it 90 days? Is it 30? What are you measuring? And what's the logic behind that? And so that is, you know, that is where sales and marketing come to the table together with their operations counterparts. You agree to the model and then nobody questions it. So this whole blame game thing that the Pardot folks talk about, which I wholeheartedly agree with, it doesn't happen because if the head of sales and the head of marketing sat at a table and they agreed to a model, if you're reporting back on that, you can always tweak the model, but you've got a common language. And you've got a common set of metrics that, that you're measuring against. Very cool. I see the importance of it. So not just rushing into it, but again, sitting down with sales and the common vocabulary. So would that be just different terms? Like what does it mean accepted or, what does it mean qualified, that qualified appointment, you know, coming to, to grips and, and understanding with what that, that Absolutely. milestone is? Absolutely. And it, again, it could be on, you know, you go to an event, a lot of B2B marketers today go to a bunch of trade shows. Well, at trade shows, you might set up unique meetings. You might have dinners. You might have people who visit your booth. You might have people that go to your session. 
all of those are unique experiences within a campaign. So sure. how do you want to divide and sort of look at what, you know, the, the ADR, the SDR set up the meetings, you know, so how do you kind of look at all that stuff? So I think it's the common vocabulary has to do with, it, it starts at the beginning when you, when you put together the plan of metric, when you start to, when the plan of record, when you start to look at what are the kind of programs we're going to do and how are we going to measure those programs and what's the window if we're going to look at multi-touch, you know, sort of generated. And then if we look at pipeline after op creation. Um, and so, you know, we have super sophisticated customers that are doing far more than we're doing using our own technology. That's awesome. Um, that look at it in the way that, again, that meets their particular objectives, but there's never a successful customer or marketing attribution, which isn't a place where sales and marketing came together and they designed the model together. And it is a journey. Anybody who uses marketing attribution will tell you, you're always tweaking it, uh, you know, for the betterment of learning uh, right. and understanding the business. Very cool. I feel like I'm, I'm opening this guide book on <laughs> attribution because I think we get wrapped around technology so much we forget that it works when we've set the right parameters. So vocabulary, I heard I, time frame, I heard a couple of times. Yeah. Is there yeah. anything else that we need to do or think about or even set up when we're thinking about going for multi-touch? Again, just get your sales and marketing teams in the same room. Yeah. Get them all to not, it's more than just head nodding. It's mm -hmm. the, you're going to get into a blame game thing. If you can't look each other in the eye and say, we agreed that this is the way we're going to measure it. Now we can go change the model, but we're going to, we need a common set of, of metrics. And so that partnership with sales and marketing. And again, our, we find that the operations folks, rev ops rev teams are, are often the best team to pull that pull that sort of uh collaboration together right huh this is very cool i actually i can see how it's that much more possible to get at multi-touch it's not as this concept in the air because you're you're aligning with sales and you're getting on the same page so that the numbers mean the same thing to both of you that's exactly right very cool this seems like it's now become much more possible. Obviously, through lean data, uh, it seems like a trend. Do you see this being, it's much more possible for a lot of people now that tech is there to support it? Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, I think there's a reason why, you know, Salesforce and Pardot and others are investing in their marketing analytics. There's a reason yeah. why, you know, Marketo bought Visible. There's a reason right. why, we've been having a lot of success with our marketing attribution product because it's a natural outcome that people want to understand and measure. The, the difficulty is every company looks at it differently and has a different set of questions. And so you're not going to get an out of the box, here's your dashboard, Casey, just for you, because your counterparts are going to have different questions than you have. And so it's a little bit of a consultative um, process. So we, we typically work with customers and um, we have some of our consultants and we work with some great partners, a company like RevPulse, which does this for a living. They really understand marketing attribution and what our cut and what customers uh, in the Salesforce Marketo universe um, really want. And so they can build repeatable solutions, et cetera. But you, you need some people that understand the technology as well. Right. Yeah, I think RevPulse are the ones with the cool hats. <laughs> 
I don't know if I've seen the hats, but you could be right. Yeah, um, we were just there at the World Tour recently in New York, and they've got these cool designer hats. And one of the guys on my team, Logan, <laughs> he's like, man, I love your hats. And he had all the hats except for the orange one, but he finally got the orange one. But well, they, hey, if these guys are listening to your podcast, hopefully they'll send you a hat. Right? Right? <laughs> or, or send them to Logan. He's your biggest fan. He wears yeah. them everywhere. It's great. It's like it's apparently a designer trend down in Atlanta. Uh, but so shout out to those guys. This is really so huh. multi-touch is possible when we when we approach it from the right way. Absolutely. What kind of decisions do you make based on the information you get? Like even internally, um, and how do you make decisions on it? So you've you've, set, you've done the prep work. You're working within your own tool now, even, and then what's the output? And then how do you wrap your head around how to take action on that? Yeah. Um, absolutely make decisions on trade shows. Um, I know which ones delivered for us and which ones didn't. And again, it's not just, you know, how many people did I scan at the booth? There's a multitude of other things you do, but trade shows and events are huge investments for B2B marketers and sure. understanding that really helps us, um, you know, target, our spend um we absolutely of course the the abm oriented things we've done perform well no surprise i think if you're really dialed in in partnership with sales on the who are those target accounts and what are the personas and how are you going to go about reaching those and there's a there's a design play where sales is doing some outbound stuff and marketing is doing some inbound stuff you know it's 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 all of those partnerships so you know, at the start of, we're going into a new fiscal year and we used our multi-touch um, marketing attribution data to make decisions on trade shows, on certain um, media buys. You know, turns out LinkedIn is, is a, great, a great place for us to do very targeted campaigns. So we'll probably be doing more with LinkedIn in the coming year. And we were able to, of course, see that through some of the data as well. Awesome. That's, that's, I, that's really the what we've always been trying to get at in marketing is understanding exactly. what we're doing that actually has effect tying back into the revenue conversation we had at the very beginning, yep. like being able to see what different levers are having the positive effects we want and what aren't. So we can stop doing those and do the more profitable ones. That's so cool. Are there any other trends you see happening? I mean, we're going, you know, holidays coming up or going into that new year, 2019. It's an odd year, odd number. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's a it, if it's a new trend, but I think just you know for B two B marketers in general, um, you know customer advocacy is still king, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to pay attention to your customers. You you know in a SaaS world, that's what it's all about. And so we're seeing more focus, and we intend to put a lot more focus around some of our customer programs. We love G two Crowd and Trust Radius and some of these review platforms that help. You know, peer-to-peer -peer reviews happen in the market, which just builds credibility around how people are, are viewing your products and your services and how easy it is to work with your company. Um, so we have a lot of stuff we're doing um, with, you know, creation of user groups. And we have something called OpStars, which is sort of a community of these operation leaders where we do a conference. But, you know, could we turn that into an actual community and share best practices and networking in an online forum? And so I think, you know, the customer centricity, everybody talks about it, but 
It's super important, even as a smaller company, you know, I have a dedicated person who's looking at advisory boards and user groups and user events and customer days. And um, obviously we do tons with Salesforce and, and, you know, Marketo and things like that, but just, you know, having a unique experience for your customers and learning from them is super important. And that's a trend I can get behind. I mean, that it's one of those, it's not self-serving, you know, I think in the past SEO, you know, was that, was that way where it's like, Ooh, how can we trick people and trick the servers? And they've gotten so good at Google and sniffing that stuff out. You just need to write good content that gets shared socially. Like it's just right. right helpful content. I, I love that marketing is coming around people getting empowered enough. It's not about tricking or, you know, the old, um, mad men type, you know, commercials. It's like, help these people out, give them a place to meet their co their cohort and their peers and have them, you know, share ideas. That's awesome. Yeah. The other thing I would say, um, kind of along a similar line, I was on a panel recently on, um, uh, where we talked about influencer marketing and I think in the, in the B2B world, um, now obviously we target sales and marketing buyers, but there's a whole universe of people that, um, are, are experts in their field. They're not just your traditional analysts and they're not just, you know, bloggers and speakers. They're, they're, you know, people like you and me that are just very well versed on a given field that we could impart our own knowledge and wisdom and help move a market forward. And so influencer marketing, I think no matter how big or small you are is critical. Um, and we make investments in that area. Social media is a great channel for that. Um, and that's, you know, that just is going to continue to grow for the B2B marketer. Oh, very good. Very good. This is all I'm wondering, right? You are, have been crushing myths. You see into the future. Really? Who are you? I'm, I'm curious, you know, what kind of experiences, how did you end up as this marketing leader, thought leader, um, helping lean data really take it into the next level and get, you know, multi-touch for everybody else. And like, take me back. <laughs> uh, very kind of you. You're, you're too, too thoughtful, but I, uh, you know, I, I'm a B2B marketer. I've been, I'm sort of a product of the Silicon Valley. So if you look at my career, I've done all B2B tech, even though sure. I've been in financial services and done some things there. It's all, it's all tech focused. And so I think, you know, I give a lot of credit to my roots. I started at Apple in the very early days and, you know, I've worked at some of the best brands in, in, in technology. So I've been super fortunate um, to work with some great people. Um, the last you know, handful of years, I've been in the, you know, sales and marketing tech space, which is a super fun space to be in. Um, and there's a great community in that world. Um, a lot of people that I respect and have learned from. And um, so I'm, you know, I feel very, very humbled that, uh, that I get to do what I do because I'm marketing to people like me, which is yeah, right. fun. Uh, I've spent many years marketing to IT people as well. So I know how those folks think but it's fun marketing to uh to sales and marketing people well i've marketed to it as well and i and having been it i could say it's a lot harder it's a yeah. it's a different persona right but marketing to marketers is 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 awesome sales too because they keep it real um yeah. now i wanted you mentioned apple and i know we chatted briefly something if I, you started there when you were like 18 or something you got a yeah. dish how did you end up at Apple? And this is like pre-Mac days? 
Yeah, I, I actually worked at Apple for the original Macintosh introduction in 1984. So that's going to make me seem 100 years old, which I'm not. It's okay. We're not good at math. So it's but, all. Uh, yeah, I, it, was, it was one of those things that um, I just sort of was in the right place at the right time. Um, Apple's headquartered in Cupertino, California. I lived in the area. They had a job. I was a senior in high school. Didn't really know what I was going to do. Was thinking about what I was going to do for college and whether I was going to go to a community college or go away to school. And long story short, got a job at Apple. I ended up in uh, initially in the creative services uh, department, which was effectively their in-house agency, which you know, almost every major tech brand now has their own in-house agency model that everybody's modeled after Apple because Apple did it really, really well. And obviously, right. uh, you know, had the good fortune of, of, you know, meeting and working very closely with Steve Jobs and, um, really? yeah, some very, what was that very like, you, what, what was that like? Cause we, we, we see the movies I've done the autobiography, the, the biography. Yeah. What was that like? And this brilliant, is the early days brilliant, too. Brilliant marketer. Absolutely brilliant marketer. marketer. I learned a ton. Um, yeah. He's, uh, I think the, the reason Apple's in the place they are, I mean, kudos to Tim Cook and the rest of the team. But, you know, when, when Steve went back to Apple, I worked with him at Next uh, after I left Apple. And so. Next. I know about I Next. Saw, you were there too? I was at Next for five years. Wow. So bleeding edge technology, but super, um, super inspiring, uh, brilliant marketing leader. And if you do follow the stories, you know, about Steve, his coming back to Apple and, and what he did to help reinvent that company is it'll, you know, it'll be part of history. Absolutely. Does that mean you were an Apple? And then when he got booted out, you followed him over to next or how? not directly, but not yes, directly. I went to Next um, shortly thereafter, yes. Wow, that's cool. You're like a rebel, You're flying the pirate <laughs> flag over the headquarters. I was really. a young person at the time, so I was sort of, uh, I was, you know, I was just finding a cool new job at the time, but I got to work with some awesome people. I, what, I, guess, I guess hindsight is 20, like Steve Jobs, right? But like at the time, was he, did you have the sense that this guy was going to basically you know, change the world or was he just a good business leader at the time? You know, he obviously already, you know, Apple was a billion dollar company just with the Apple II before the, the original Mac was launched. And so clearly True. he had done something right early on. And so, um, yeah, always, always felt like you were a little bit in the company of a genius, um, but, but a marketing genius. I mean, I learned a lot from him and, um, he cared just immensely about um, the user experience and, um, you know, graphic design and the aesthetics of a user experience. And, you know, it, it grounded me in a lot of core things, you know, that simple is better and, um, and a certain elegancy in, in a look and feel and clean typography and, you know, not a lot of busy graphics, you know, it just, it turns out that's, some of the best stuff you see today. So Absolutely. Apple taught me a lot. You know, feel very fortunate. That was a big part of my, my educational process. So cool. And that shaped you. And what do you do after that? What do you do after Apple and Next, all these things? How did, you, how did your career progress? Because you, 
not only did you climb that ladder, you kicked, you broke that ladder down and made it to firewood. So how, <laughs> what did you do? You know, I, I followed where the market was going, um, you know, after, um, so I did two tours of duty at Apple. So I did Apple next and then I went back to Apple uh, for a year and a half or so. And then after that, the, the internet was taken off. Netscape was founded and all of a sudden there were these cool companies building these cool applications and browsers. And I found myself at one of those little startups. And um, so I, I did the startup thing early, uh, which was fun. Um, and so I've been super fortunate to do a mix of I've been at big, big brands, public companies like VMware, Informatica. I've been at medium-sized com company, and then I've, I've been at small, you know, really entrepreneurial startups, too, which is just a super fun, you know, way to be able to round out your career. So I, I feel really fortunate to have done that. Absolutely. And now, now you spend a lot of when you, time when you can, because obviously you're really busy doing what you do, but um, getting outdoors, it sounds like, and uh, up yeah. to Lake Tahoe, is that the... Like uh, yeah, one of my favorite places on the planet is Lake Tahoe. It always has been. And uh, I was fortunate enough to, to buy a vacation home there about nice. 13 years ago. So I'm on the water. I have a boat. So I spend as much time as I can in the summer. And I love hiking and boating. And I, I love it in the wintertime, too. But I'm, I'm, it's, you know, more my favorite in the summertime. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, skiing has its places, but. Right now, I'm up in you know, New Hampshire, and things are getting cold. The leaves are off the trees. I'm like, oh, my friends in Florida are having a good time. And they're like, oh, it's so cold out. It's 70, 80 degrees. And, oh. <laughs> but you know, I've never been to Lake Tahoe. Um, is, that, is that a place you bring the family to, or is it more Absolutely. just, you know? Uh, yes, it's a great place for family, for outdoor stuff, fresh air. Um, obviously, you have snow in the winter if you want it. You have a lot of sunshine in the in the summer months. Great lakes, not just Tahoe itself. There's lots of other surrounding lakes too, and it's hiking and biking and you know golfing and skiing and super super great place to hang out outside. Jeez, what's not to like? <laughs> I don't know how they get you out of there. <laughs> how do they get you to come back to the office at that point? I, uh, I well, the good news is we can all pretty much work wherever we want these days. True right? enough. So uh, I just happen to have a really nice view sometimes when I'm up there. <laughs> totally. Man, so cool. Well, this has been fun. Thank you so much for coming here. I'd love to ask you, what kind of links or you know, where can people connect with you and connect with Lean Data? So you can connect directly with me uh, at Karen at leandatainc.com. Happy to take your email, any questions you have. Um, and uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. I'm pretty active socially. So um, my Twitter handle is Karen M. Steele. And uh, I would love to engage. Um, B2B marketing is one of my favorite things and um, love working with folks to help them connect and network and uh, would be happy to do that. Awesome. We'll definitely put all those uh, links into the show notes uh, so people can click right through uh, from the description. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming and I've learned from you. I, I don't know about you, but I've got like front <laughs> notes that I've taken here. I mean, my, my brain is expanded in terms of, how multi-touch is possible now do the right prep for it ahead of time uh great stuff thank you so much 
Awesome. Thank you. And happy holidays. Yes. Happy holidays. And for everyone else out there, share this with someone, get them this information so that they can prep themselves and have some awesome data going in. So they get great campaigns and they get great multi-touch and all those good things. So get this in their hands and then we will see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>